0: Do you ever doubt? I know, that's not a very Eastery question. You're sitting there thinking to yourself, I'm dressed up, I'm in church, uh, you know, I've got this whole God and Jesus thing down, it's all good. Or at least I'm open to it. Doubt? Well, I guess I'm a little different then. Because I've had doubts, and sometimes I still struggle with doubt. In fact, I want to suggest that I don't know how a person can be a Christian and not have doubts from time to time because as long as you have faith, you're going to have doubt in this world. Let's talk about faith for a moment, okay? I want to illustrate this for you. Um, I want you to have faith in me. Believe a statement I'm going to say, okay? Right now, in my hand, I'm holding a $20 bill. I'm holding a $20 bill, y'all. You like that? 20 bucks! Now, could be holding a dollar bill, quarter, some pocket lint. Could be holding nothing. Who believes that I am holding a $20 bill? Raise your hand. All right. Keep those hands up. I need a volunteer here. All right, you. You believe I'm holding a $20 bill. Sure. You have confidence in me. Um I'm willing to I'm willing to trust you. Okay. I'm about to destroy her faith. You ready? You ready? I didn't say I was lying, but I did say I was going to destroy your faith. You see, I was holding a $20 bill, but you didn't know it. You couldn't see it. Once I've shown her that I'm holding the $20 bill in my hands, I've destroyed her faith because she knows I'm holding it now. In fact, it's been said like this, if you ever arrive at a place where all your doubts are gone and all your questions are answered, take a deep breath because you've just walked through the pearly gates. I wish every church across America would put up a big sign in front of the church or over the doors and it would just simply say, doubters, welcome. Come on in. We're here to have a conversation with you. I think people think to themselves, well, if I have questions or I have doubts, then I can't do this whole Christianity thing. They're all in that 100% certain camp. I'm more like in the 75% certain camp or the 60% certain camp. Well, the story that we're going to look at this morning really is a story for you. Because there's plenty of doubters in the Bible who had to overcome doubt. And there's one doubter in particular in the story we're going to look at that we see Jesus meeting him in his place of doubt. So I'd like to read to you Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. It's a great little story. The Bible tells us that when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, the scribes arguing with them, and immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose And when he had entered the house, the disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything other than prayer. Now, let me catch you up in this story just a little bit. So, um, Jesus is coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration. Just before that, in Mark chapter 8, Peter declares that Jesus is the Christ. Just imagine that you found out that your best friend was like the president's son or daughter. That'd be kind of a big deal, right? Well, this is an even bigger deal. This is the Son of God, the Messiah who'd come into the world. And so Jesus takes three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, and they go up on the Mount of Hermon, and there he unveils his glory. He shows up in his radiant brilliance before him and two of the bigwigs from the Old Testament testament Elijah and Moses show up on the scene and they also hear a voice from heaven saying this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased listen to him I mean talk about a mountaintop experience so now they're coming down the mountain and they're getting back into the real world and boy do they ever get back into the real world right Jesus arrives on the scene, and his disciples are in the middle of this heated debate. Uh, He told them that they would have the ability to cast out demons and do miracles in his name, but he's gone for a week, and these guys turn out to be spiritual duds. Nothing happens. And there's these spiritual elite types that just seem to always be around and cast aspersion when something like this happens. i got to tell you. Anytime you try to walk the life of faith, there are going to be people that seem to think that it's their job to cast skeptical questions your way and tell you that you're crazy for following it. So here's the scene. In the midst of it all, a father, a desperate man, cries out. And I want us to just get into his shoes a little bit here. Uh, there's three eyewitnesses' accounts. There's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, gospel writers. And they talk about this father, and it's desperate. Um, Matthew says that he's fallen, he fell on his knees before Jesus. And Luke tells us that the father cries out, and he says, This is my only son, the only one in the world. And he's tortured. So this is the scene. Debate, a distraught father, and a broken boy. Now Jesus, when he says, Oh, faithless generation, it's an emotional exhaustion. He's been walking around the Galilean countryside performing miracles. People have seen him do great things. And time and time again, they're just asking questions. Can he do the next thing? And so he just says, "Ah, Of course I can do it, right? Bring the boy to me because he is a compassionate Savior. Now I want to read the next part of this story to you again, Mark 9, 20-22, from a different translation, the New Living Translation. Uh, Verse 20 says, They brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening, Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy. The spirit often throws him into the fire and into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us. If you can. Now, like I said, when I read this, my, my heart goes out to this father. I mean, there's nothing more disorienting, destabilizing, nothing that makes you feel more helpless than to have one of your precious children suffer. Um, I've watched my kids suffer. It hasn't been anything significant. I've watched other parents see their children go through great things, like cancer. You just feel like there's nothing you can do. Nothing will break a man down and send him to his knees like that. So he's struggling. Can Jesus really help? Is it just going to be more of the same? Big promises, no delivery? I mean, that's the real world. I mean, people make promises all the time, and a lot of times those promises come up a day late and a dollar short. How is Jesus any different? I want to suggest to you this morning that Doubt exists in the distance or in the gap between what I can see and what I can't see. That's where doubt resides. So think about what this father couldn't see. He had heard stories that Jesus had performed miracles, but he'd never seen him perform a miracle. He was told that this Jesus was a great prophet, but he had never actually heard him spoke before. And there was actually whispers or rumors going about that this guy might be the Messiah, God's chosen one. But other guys had made that same claim before. Could, could he be the Messiah? Who knows? Here's what he could see. What he could see was a guy that was, well, rather unremarkable. Isaiah talks about Jesus like this. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. It wasn't like he was this big strapping kind of guy that everyone looks at and says, oh, I'm going to follow that guy just by one look at him. No, he saw a lot of things. He saw his son tortured by a demon. He saw him thrown into water to drown him and thrown into fire to burn him. He heard Jesus say, bring the boy. But, you you know, you're expecting an instantaneous miracle here, but the boy just starts writhing around on the ground. What about those disciples? I mean, the disciples tried, but they couldn't do anything for him. Maybe those stories were just blown out of proportion. Do you see how big this gap is? There's a lot of distance between what he could see and what he couldn't see. For crying out loud, he wasn't there when Jesus was walking on water. He says, if you can do anything. If? That doesn't sound like A word that we use when we're making a a firm statement, if is a conditional. If means I'm definitely not standing in the 100% certain camp here. I'm willing to go out on a limb, but it's going to take more than just words to get me to the place where I'm going to trust you. I wonder, what are your ifs when it comes to Jesus? What are your questions that you hold on to but you don't ask? You know, because believers don't ask questions because we're 100% certain, of course, right? Uh, Or maybe you sit in a place where you don't believe yet. You have a lot of questions and you're asking yourself, well, where do I go to even find out what my questions are and how I get them answered? One pastor notes that doubts tend to reside in three categories. There are intellectual doubts. Those are the doubts that come outside of the church. They question the validity of the Christian faith. Is the Bible true? Uh, Did Jesus really rise again from the dead? How can I prove something that I can't see? Something that's not reproducible? Uh, There are also spiritual doubts. These are the doubts of people who uh, follow Jesus and they're asking questions like, am I really a Christian? Why do I struggle to pray? Am I growing? I think other people have personal relational doubts with God. Like, does God actually love me? I see him loving other persons, but I wonder if he loves me. And then there are circumstantial doubts. This is the biggest category because it encompasses all the whys of life. Why did I lose my job? Why did my marriage fall apart? Why did one of my children die? Where was God when I was being abused? These are the types of questions that we meet in the intersection of biblical faith and the pain of living in a fallen world. Notice that circumstantial doubt is the doubt that this father is dealing with. And in my experience, these are the toughest doubts of all because You can walk into places of faith and we can kind of sweep them under the rug, but if you don't deal with these types of doubts, what happens is circumstantial doubts become spiritual doubts and spiritual doubts become intellectual doubts. And soon we're asking the question, do I believe anything at all? Now, I know one thing for certain. I'm not going to be able to answer all your questions today. That would not be possible. If you started just throwing a million questions at me, we'd be here all day and into the morning, and I'd be preaching to an empty room. So I'm not going to be able to handle all of those questions. But the one thing I will say is this. The questions are legitimate. I'm not interested in sweeping them under the rug, and I would love to have a conversation with you sometime if you ever had a question. And here's another thing to think about. I want to suggest that even if I could answer all of your questions, and trust me, I can't because I'm not smart enough to do that, but if I could, there would always be more questions because questions can always produce more questions. So really what we need to do in this world when we think about matters of faith, things we can't see, is to keep an open mind. And I want to ask you to keep an open mind as we move forward. Look at with me now at verse 23. In verse 23, Jesus says, What do you mean, if I can? Anything is possible if a person believes. Now, I don't think that Jesus is scolding this father. I don't think he's mocking him here. I think that he is challenging this individual to believe. The father had said, if you can, and Jesus is basically coming back at him and saying, you say if I can to me, but that isn't the issue. Of course I can. No, my friend, the burden is on you. Because all things are possible for the one who believes. Are you willing to put your faith in me? Jesus explains how uh, that faith helps us to cross the gap between what I can't see and what I can see. One writer notes that the sole bridge between frail humanity and the all-sufficiency of God is faith. The Bible defines faith like this. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So at some point, we're going to have to say, okay, I've got a lot of questions, and I've asked a lot of questions. Maybe the question is, is what's the most important question? What is the one question I have to answer in order to move forward in faith? And I would submit to you that that question is, who is Jesus? And can I trust him with my life? Who is Jesus and can I trust him with my life? Because you can only really trust in a person. Now for many of you, who is Jesus might be a hard question to answer. I mean, a lot of people know of Jesus, but many of us hold some imprecise understanding of who Jesus is. One author notes that not every Jesus is the real Jesus. And then he goes on to talk about all of these different iterations of Jesus that exist out there today. For example... You have Republican Jesus, who is against taxes and activist judges, family values, and he wants to own his firearms, right? But on the other side of the aisle, you've got Democrat Jesus, who is against Wall Street and Walmart for reducing our carbon footprint on this world and is willing to print money if he can help the welfare of others. There's therapist Jesus who helps us cope with life problems and heals our past, tells us that we're valuable and that we shouldn't be so hard on ourselves. Then you have Starbucks Jesus who drinks fair trade coffee, loves to have spiritual convos and drives a hybrid and goes to film festivals. And then you've got open-minded Jesus who loves everyone all the time no matter what, except if the the person's not as open-minded as he is. Then there's Touchdown Jesus, who helps athletes run faster and jump higher than non-Christians and determines the outcome of Super Bowls. Then you have spirituality Jesus, who hates religion, churches, pastors, and doctrine, would rather do church out in nature and uh, help us to find the God within us and listen to spiritually ambiguous music. And then there's good example Jesus, who shows you how to help people change the planet and become the better you. Do you see the problem with all of these different iterations of Jesus? We are trying to make Jesus into something that we want him to be. And when we make him into something we want him to be, and then our understanding of Jesus lets us down, well boy, we think Jesus let us down, but Jesus isn't the problem. I'm the problem. I've changed him. So who is the real Jesus? Well, the real Jesus is the Son of God who came to earth to save the creation, who was born of the Virgin Mary and lived in Nazareth and who committed no sin. He demonstrated his authority and power as he walked about the Galilean countryside uh, doing miracles and teaching people about the kingdom of God. He claimed that he was the only way to God. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He was hated by the religious elite and he was betrayed by one of his own disciples. He was taken to the cross. And John tells us that the reason that Jesus laid his life down on the cross was because he was the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. He laid in a tomb for three days. And on the third day, hallelujah, he rose again from the dead. The cross was the payment for the sins. Our sins, your sins, my sins. The resurrection is proof positive that Jesus is the Lord of life. That he has the power to defeat sin and death. The Bible tells us that he ascended, and today he sits at the right hand of the throne of God, and he is in the place of authority and power. He is the Lord of this world. This is the real Jesus. Why is it important that I answer that question? Well, the Bible says... These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The Bible says that the the choice in this question is the choice between eternal life and eternal separation from God, eternal death. But you think to yourself, "Well, well, how do I trust Jesus? Uh, How much faith do I have to have? How strong should my faith be? Uh, How do I cross the gap, so to speak, between what I can't see and what I can see? Well, this Father gives us a perfect example in verse 24. He says, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I mean, friends, I've got to tell you, I love this father's response. I mean, this is the type of response that gives me hope. This response puts faith within the realm of attainability. This response shows me the kind of faith that Jesus can work with. Perfect? No. Imperfect? Yes. Vacillating? Yes. Wavering? Sure. Doubting? Still. But sufficient? Absolutely. What kind of faith can Jesus work with? I think we see two things. One, Jesus doesn't need perfect faith. He just needs genuine faith. Genuine faith takes a step forward even when it still feels uncertain. It takes no confidence in itself. It doesn't judge Jesus because of the weakness of his followers. And I've got to say, a lot of people aren't going to church today because they saw someone that said they're a Christian do something that didn't really resonate with the message of Jesus. Remember, that's not Jesus' problem. That's their problem. True faith is unconditional openness to God, a decision in the face of the contrary that Jesus is able. And until we see Jesus, our faith will always be insufficient. But that's okay. Because Jesus is the all-sufficient Savior. He's the one that helps us to bridge the gap. He's the one that can make the provision for us. I think another thing that we see about faith is faith less often tends to be a leap and most often tends to be small, consistent steps. A lot of people think that, oh, if I was to trust Jesus, well, then I've just got to sell everything, jump on a boat and go live in a mud hut in Africa. I don't know what you think, but I'm just getting out there, right? People think that it's like this big, spontaneous leap like that. Sometimes God calls us to make leaps, But often, faith tends to be a lot of small, consistent hops. It makes me think of this guy named Don Bennett. I read about in a book, The Leadership Challenge. Bennett was the first amputee to reach the summit of Mount Rainier. Now, this is a 14,410-foot mountain, and he made it to the top of this thing with one leg and two crutches. It's pretty amazing when you think about it. In fact, he actually had to make the climb twice because the first time they tried to make it to the top of the mountain, they were almost blown off the mountain by the winds. So the second time that they made the attempt, it took him five days to hobble his way up to the top of that mountain. He was asked, how did you do it? How did you make it to the top of Mount Rainier on one leg? His response was brilliant. One hop at a time. He added, I imagined myself on the top of that mountain 1,000 times a day. But when I started to climb it, I just said to myself, anyone can hop from here to there. And I would. And when the going got its toughest, I was really exhausted. And that's when I would look down at the path ahead of myself and just say, you just got to take one more step. Anyone can do that. And I would. That sounds a lot like faith to me. In a sense, we're all spiritual amputees in a spiritual uh, or in the faith department. I've got to tell you, life is like a mountain, isn't it? It's not easy. We have to trust Jesus. We have to keep on trusting him. One shaky hop at a time. One more decision to say that I'm going to keep following him. I would suggest to you that that's what all those doubters in that video had to do when they came to know Jesus. Each one of them had serious doubts, serious misunderstandings about who God is and who Jesus is. And so they had to take that first step and move forward. I want you to see the second part of their story real quick. It's
1: really our pride that keeps us from admitting that we need God in our lives. So it was a pure emotional uh,
0: decision for me, and then afterwards, the blessings of understanding how Christianity and the Christian worldview and everything the Bible teaches and everything God is actually matches up the best with the reality that we experience in this world. I think. Watching my mother when she passed away and her faith, and seeing how strong it was when she was battling with my father at the same time, that was when I truly began to understand that she had an earthly husband, but she had a heavenly bridegroom. And that was amazing to see. And then when we went through our battles, having our own children, and all of those prayers that I But rather than seeing what I wasn't given, I saw how faithful he was in the end. And looking at
1: my own children and realizing that I had a true responsibility to show them how to have a healthy faith, how to have a healthy relationship with God.
0: Um, And he gave me all these answers that I didn't even know I had to question in the first place. And the answer was just there, presented to me. Um, It was an amazing experience. It still is. It continues to be. It was just the constant belief of the people that were talking to me about Jesus. Uh, They did not waver in their faith. They constantly reminded me that it was just, it was easy, and you just had to believe. And eventually, the burden on my heart was lifted
1: once I did believe. My wife Ann Marie, I started going to church with her. We uh, moved to Alabama, which was a very strong Christian community in Montgomery, Alabama. And slowly but surely, going to church just to appease my wife, started to. The pastor down in Montgomery who would be giving sermons. and I was feeling like he was actually talking to me and looking at me, and I started to understand that the beliefs I had that oh, if you're a good person, you'll go to heaven, was incorrect. I also learned very quickly that I wasn't the wonderful person that I really thought I was, and that I was just like any other human being. I was. A sinner, and I needed to ask Jesus for forgiveness, and I learned through reading the Bible, going to church, joining small groups, that there's only one way to heaven, and that is to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to realize that He shed His blood for my sins. I cannot get into heaven by anything that I can do personally, by any works or good deeds, It's only through Jesus Christ, period.
0: So I want to ask you a question. Have you trusted Jesus? Have you put your faith in him? Maybe you still have questions and doubts, and I want to say this too. I think it's okay to put your faith in Jesus even when you're still feeling shaky in the moment. Uh, You can think of it like this. Anybody in this room afraid to fly? Anybody? Anybody? Thank you couple honest people in the room there this morning. Now, I got to tell you, I'll be honest, when I look at an airplane, I look like uh, I see a big metal can, a sardine can that is entrusted to this big conglomerate's uh, security protocol. And I think to myself, boy, this isn't going to work out too well in my favor. In fact, whenever I jump on a plane, I am 20% sure that that thing is going down. No offense to the pilots in the room. Some people, when they jump on a plane, they're only 10% sure that they're getting to the destination. Others are 99% sure because they know that a crash is just a statistical anomaly and, hey, it's safer to drive, right? Well, think about this. If a flight is going from Chicago to Georgia and a 10% sure person jumps onto the plane and a 90% sure person jumps onto the plane, who makes it to the destination if the flight arrives safely. Both. The 99% sure person had a much better flight. The 10% sure person, well, he or she exercised a lot of courage. Maybe you're saying this morning, I don't know. God's speaking to me, stirring my heart. This Jesus thing could be real. I, I sense it could be real. Maybe like this father, you need to say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And in the best way I know how, Jesus, I trust you in this moment. And Jesus, I believe, will say back to you, doubters welcome. Doubters